Out of Place, written by Fei Li, read by Kaylin Wrights. Chapter 4 For the first time in what felt like ages, Harry woke up and knew where he was. In fact, it was where he had fallen asleep. Hogwarts Castle felt like no other place. He pulled himself from the bed and pulled on the crumpled trousers flung over the chair nestled in the corner of his private quarters. Harry felt far better rested than he should, more so given the early hour. He pulled on a nearby shoe and nearly tripped over its mate in his haste. Harry spotted framed photographs arranged on the mantel of a stone fireplace and drew closer. There were pictures of Ron and Hermione, Luna, along with various other friends and Weasleys. One close to the edge featured Teddy doubled over in giggles. Pensive. He'd face McGonagall or Dumbledore, and either way, Harry figured he could enlist their help. The corridor was chilly, and it took a few wrong turns to figure out which floor they housed him on. So by the time he reached the head's office, he regretted leaving the rooms without a jumper. The gargoyle guardian leaping aside at his approach should have been his first clue. The office door swinging open the moment his hand touched should have been his second. It wasn't until someone spun him around and pinned him against the wall, with a hand down his trousers and a nose nuzzling under his ear, that he realized it was neither Dumbledore nor McGonagall that held the head position. It was Snape. It took Harry a moment longer than he'd admit, disentangling himself and guiding the appendages from the less-than-appropriate locations. He'd also not admit how much he stuttered through, Severus, stop! While he congratulated himself for thinking quick enough to use the man's first name. Snape drew back, rolled his eyes, and pulled his dressing gown tight around himself. What can I do for you at five in the morning? Snape asked, and leaned against the now-closed door. I, uh, I need your help, Harry said. He glanced around the office, noting it was different from any other time he'd seen it. When he returned his attention to Snape, there was a teasing smirk on his face. Snape looked him over and said, I thought you asked me to stop. Harry felt his cheeks heat and shook his head. Not that. It's important. I need you to see some memories, then I can explain, he said. Snape's smirk fell, and he tipped his head in the pensive cabinet's direction. Once the memories were in the bowl, Snape moved so quick, Harry didn't have time to say another word. Harry sunk into the leather armchair positioned near the fire, and distracted himself with perfecting the wrinkle-removing charm Mrs. Weasley had tried to teach him and Ron five years before. By the time Snape was straightening, Harry had made one wrinkle permanent and eliminated the rest. Snape stalked across the office and pulled on Dumbledore's portrait, something Harry had only seen once before, and closed his hand around a small file. I'd rather you use mind magic if I have a choice, Harry said, once he realized what the clear file held. I always feel groggy after Veritaserum wears off, and that's a bit counterproductive, wouldn't you say? Would you allow me into your mind? Snape asked, skeptical. I trust you, Harry said with a shrug. Plus, you already know your world. It'd be quicker for you to find the difference that way. There's only so many hours in a day. Snape was in his mind at the same time Harry realized he moved. He was eleven, asking directions to platform nine and three quarters. 
He was clinging to Cedric Diggory's wrist as the Triwizard Cup hurtled toward him. He hunched over in the snow. Ron's voice was ringing in the background. Harry was in the office again as Snape lowered his wand. There, Snape said. There's your difference. Weasley didn't return in time. He calmed his breathing and said to Snape, That can't have been enough for you. I've been in your mind before. It was enough. You saved me, then? Harry asked, though he knew the answer. Will you help me now? Don't I always? Snape snarled as he dropped himself into the chair behind his desk. Snape had sent him off with instructions to cancel his classes for the day, and a long list of books to acquire. He had not said a word more than that to Harry before he waved him away. Harry rushed down to his classroom, leaving a confused second-year Ravenclaw after he asked her for directions. He was attaching a notice to the door as a Hufflepuff and two Slytherin students approached. Harry waved to them and turned down the hall, rushing to the library. Pince was at her desk. She flipped through a stack of cards, making notes. Good morning, madam, Harry greeted as he moved closer. The, uh, headmaster sent a list. Madam Pince gave him a strange smile and took the parchment from his hand. Touch nothing, Pince said and disappeared into the stacks. In record time, she returned, arms full of tomes, and Harry rushed forward, taking them from her arms. He restacked them on the desk to be more manageable, then picked them back up. Thank you, madam, Harry said. Of course, Pince said with another strange smile. He tried not to think about that as he left. When he shoved the office door open with his shoulder, he could hear Snape snarling at someone. He dropped the books on the desk and looked to the flue. Snape was on the floor, leaning in and arguing with someone, while Professor Flitwick made comments next to him, which Snape repeated in a more forceful tone. Snape stood and dusted himself off. He turned to Flitwick and said, It should arrive within the hour. Good, good. We need to examine it before we can hope to understand it. Oh, Harry, I didn't notice you'd come in. Tea? Flitwick asked and swung his wand, filling a teacup from a pot on the table in the sitting area. Thanks, Harry said. Snape turned to him. You'll need to join us at the gates to receive the scythe. The Ministry only relented in us borrowing it once they heard the request came from you, Snape said. I didn't request they do not need to know that. They sorted through the tomes while Flitwick gave a running commentary. Harry finished two cups of tea and five inches of notes before Snape announced it was time to greet the Ministry. Harry had spent little time with Phileas, as he'd insisted Harry call him, outside of classes. He was coming to appreciate how he could chat through anything. The trek across the grounds was a pleasant relief from the headmaster's office, where Snape had given him strange looks which made him feel uncomfortable. When they were through the gates, Snape leaned against the closed one and crossed his arms. Did you feel anything when you touched the artifact? Phileas asked. Nothing more than from the slight cut it gave me. Nothing magical, Harry said to him. A series of loud cracks signaled the courier's arrival. Harry turned around. Aurors, three of them, carrying a long wooden box with rope handles attached to its side. Kingsley had sent Aurors, which seemed an odd choice. 
Harry didn't know any of them. Phileas raised his wand, and an auror reached out her hand. No magic, Professor. We're under strict instruction. Harry frowned and walked closer, reaching to take the handle from her. Sorry, Professor Potter. The minister and the unspeakables were very particular. We are to carry the artifact and to not leave without it, the same auror said to him. Let's not waste more time, Snape said. He spun around and hastened back up the path. Phileas had to move even quicker to keep up, so Harry slowed his pace to stay even with him, with the aurors following. In the castle, portraits whispered as they passed. Once the box was on Snape's desk, he nodded at the aurors. You may go. Sir, uh, the minister... Kingsley said for you not to leave Hogwarts without it. You shall not. Do you believe the Minister for Magic does not trust the Hogwarts headmaster, the foremost charms expert in Britain, and Harry Potter? Snape asked, his impatience clear. No, sir, but... Go to the kitchens. I trust you remember where they are. I caught you there enough. Explore the grounds. Visit Hagrid. I trust Matthews will keep you two from disrupting the students, Snape said. Matthews, apparently nodded, and the other two turned to leave with him. Snape watched until the door clicked shut, then set to work opening the crate. Flitwick and Snape removed the scythe, using dragonhide gloves, and Harry took its box from the desk so they could settle it down. For what felt like hours, Harry watched as they cast nearly a hundred spells on, at, and around the scythe. He took notes for them, yet didn't understand most. By lunch, Harry was flagging. Snape and Flitwick both had sheens of sweat on their brows. A house-elf brought lunch, and Phileas collapsed into a chair and dug in. Snape spent a few more moments just looking at the blade, before he joined them in the sitting area. Any conclusions? Harry asked, once they had a few minutes to eat. It's ancient, oozing with magic, none of which we can seem to identify. It's as if it's a different type of magic one that I know I've never encountered before. Have you, Severus? Flitwick said. No. Reminds me of Stonehenge. The Easter Islands, perhaps, Snape said to him. So, old magic? Could its name be literal? Harry asked. Snape snorted, and Phileas smiled. Depends on which gods you believe in. Academically, I'd say no, but we have not pinpointed the origin of magic. Could the gods of Grecian and Roman history exist? Perhaps. But if that's the case, I have more questions than answers. I'd believe them to be just as mythological as any other god, but that doesn't mean I am correct, Phileas said to Harry. Now, if that is the case, the answer would lie in mythological writing, which I'm told you've looked into before. My assumptions would be that, barring another explanation, you would need to apply your blood to the blade again. Or another's blood. Lovers and enemies? Perhaps die by it? Once we step from reality to mythology, it gets odd. Harry nodded and stirred his tea, breaking up a clump of sugar still resting at the bottom. We don't know the effects my blood could have on it if applied a second time, and I'd rather not have to die for it. Dying is not an option, Snape said. I have kept you alive for far too long to end it now. Too right. Phileas said. If we can't identify the magic, what can I do? Snape sighed and leaned forward, 
resting his elbows on his knees. Perhaps applying a drop of your blood to the blade will give us something, Snape said. Harry nodded and emptied his cup. He wiped his hand on his trousers and stood up. Snape's desk had a small letter opener, so Harry picked it up as the others gathered near him and cast shielding charms. Harry pricked his finger and squeezed it to coax a drop of blood to well up. He raised his hand over the bladed end of the scythe and turned it over, watching as the drop fell and splattered on the metal. For a moment, nothing happened, and Harry felt his shoulders drop. Then the blade emitted a blinding white light, a loud, tinny ringing sound, and he knew no more. Harry! Harry! Ginny called before she burst through the bedroom door. You were supposed to... Hmm? Harry hummed. You look terrible. Are you ill? She asked and felt his forehead. You do feel a bit peaky. I'll have him stay with Mum today, and you can have one of my days next week when you feel better, yeah? Can I get you anything before I run? Sleeping potion? Harry asked. Yeah, Jin said. A minute later, she was back and placed the file in his hand and curled it around. Drink. I'll stop by after practice. Harry nodded, drank, and slept. <laughs>